Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back. Today our time in the book of James will bring us to James 3, verses 13 through 18. On the matter of wisdom and true religion and worship, Recently, we've journeyed through chapter 2 in discussing the partnership of faith and works and into the beginning of chapter 3, where we've considered the power of the tongue as it relates to speaking and teaching the truth of God concerning what saving faith is. Specifically, the relationship between faith and works is simply that since we are saved by Christ, it just doesn't make sense that we wouldn't be like, look like, or act like Him as we are made to be like and walk in him. James uses God's testing of Abraham's faith by asking him to offer up his son Isaac. God wanted further action from his faith. James is saying that since you believe that you are saved by Christ, we should show evidence of this. We are made like Christ. May I also remind us that the central concern of James's letter as a whole is true religion and worship by loving others through being like Christ. That Christ-like love demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ and responding to God in true faith through right belief simply produces right actions. We have considered how James helps his readers love by addressing their greed and materialism, their anger, ungodly speech, and even discrimination against others through their prejudiced attitudes and actions. Like us today, they simply struggled to love one another in Christ and in accurate truth. So let's begin and look at today's text in James 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3, verses 13 through 18 simply says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct he should show his works done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. And lastly, verse 18, James says, And the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. James moves from warning his readers of the power of the tongue and the importance of speaking accurate truth about God and being consistent in our claim to know and love him by loving his image bearers to personal conduct. This is lived out through God's definition of wisdom. He simply contrasts worldly wisdom with godly wisdom. James sets up questions like, Who is wise? In fact, what is wisdom? And how is wisdom related to personal motives and conduct? In short, the person who is wise is one who follows the pattern, order, and design of God, which flows from his character and nature, as we've been talking so much about throughout the book. Wisdom is embracing and following God's truth and not working against it. The connection between godly wisdom and saving faith is that one who is truly saved 
is transformed and will identify and live in a manner that is wise before God. People who are saved by God are transformed in the Holy Spirit by God. Wisdom, for James, is the mechanism in which he uses to help his readers assess and see their own personal error. Up until now, he has primarily addressed the collective and systemic issues of sin that have plagued their church body as a whole. The nature of this portion of the book, however, James seems to be after individual reflection and response and how they are thinking and acting on a personal level. This will become very evident in chapter 4 when he explicitly tackles personal pride and pursuit. You see, I think James is clear that he wants them to take inventory and take responsibility now for their issues. And he does this by setting up what true wisdom really is and what the fruit of that wisdom produces. It's a call for them to begin to reconcile and make peace amidst righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 18. It's a call for them to respond to the truth that he's been laying out before them throughout the letter. An important connection between wisdom and right teaching is that wisdom is defined by God's teaching. God's sound truth comes from his divine character and nature and what he has proclaimed as truth. Remember, God is the father of lights, as James says. He's good, perfect, and holy. To help us but understand what James means by wisdom, let's turn to Proverbs 1 to define what wisdom is and what it produces. Proverbs 1 verses 2 through 3 says, To learn wisdom and moral instruction, to discern wise counsel, to receive moral instruction in skillful living with righteousness, justice, and equity. You see, wisdom is to discern what is true and live in accordance with that wisdom. Specifically, it is wise living that is centered on righteousness, justice, and equity. This is very important for what we've been studying in the book of James, isn't it? Proverbs 1 and verse 7 goes on to say, Fearing the Lord is the beginning of discernment, but fools have despised wisdom and moral instruction. The fear of God and respect for who He is allows one to truly see the value of His instruction in humility. Hence, turn it into wise practice for life. In other words, it's not really wisdom to the hearers unless it is lived out. The knowledge and wisdom of God always includes respect and reverence for Him. Isaiah 11 verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is speaking about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah to him. That Jesus himself had a great reverence and fear of the Father. He respected and worshipped and adored the Father, and hence respected the Father's wishes and laws of the Father. Lastly, Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 27 says, Wisdom calls out in the street. She shouts loudly in the plazas. At the head of the noisy street she calls, in the entrances of the gates in the city she utters her words. How long will you simpletons love naivety? How long have mockers delighted in mockery? And how long will fools hate knowledge? You should respond to my rebuke. 
When I would pour out my thoughts to you, I would make my words known to you. However, because I called, but you refused to listen, because I stretched out my hand, but no one was paying attention, verse 25, and you neglected all my advice and did not comply with my rebuke, so I myself will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when what you dread comes. When what you dread comes like a whirlwind and disaster strikes you like a devastating storm when distressing trouble comes on to you. The striking point here in the latter part of Proverbs 1 is that God has given his wisdom freely and expects humans to respond to it. The important thing to note here is that God holds humans accountable for that wisdom and gives a warning against ignoring and neglecting it. That when the troubles and the conflicts of life come, those who disobey have no wisdom to respond in a productive and righteous manner. Furthermore, those who do not heed God's wisdom will undergo his wrath as well in the end because of the unrighteousness and the foolishness it produces. Remember the previous session was about the power of the tongue and the impulses of the flesh driving the tongue that is an untamable animal that results in widespread destruction. The impulses of the flesh and the natural response of the world does not produce righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, it doesn't produce any godly wisdom. When there is a refusal to recognize and obey God's design for life, what fills this vacuum is the ungodliness, hatred, anger, unkindness, partiality, and discrimination that has filled James's audience. Worldly wisdom leads to the abuse and oppression of others every time. Psalm 111 verse 10 sums up James's point nicely. It simply says, To obey the Lord is the fundamental principle for wise living. All who carry out his precepts acquire good moral insight. He will receive praise forever. So what is wise living? According to James, the fruit of wise living is righteousness that includes the heart of God, which is peace. In James chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, remember it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and not hypocritical. Verse 18 says, And the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. This is certainly fitting because James is laying out that being wise is listening and responding to God. That one who claims to know God and follow him is growing to change to be like him. When you know and have been changed by the truth, you apply it. Remember, he has already exhorted them to love one another because that is the tangible fruit of faith being shown through good works. He brings out this idea of wisdom that is pure, light, true, holy, peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy, impartial, and not hypocritical. These are all the areas that his audience has struggled with. This is just what they need. The major point here is that these wise things are the practical result of genuine faith. So what is exactly the good fruit of genuine faith? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 and compare what the fruit of the world versus the fruit of the Spirit of God looks like. In the book of Galatians, Paul spends considerable time contrasting walking in the Spirit of God opposed to walking in the flesh. The flesh represents the world for sure. 
Paul has set up the foundation and source of their transformation in Christ because of their faith in Galatians chapter 2, explicitly verses 20. In chapter 5, verses 16 to 21, he says, But I say, live by faith, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit, and the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murdering, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I am warning you, Paul says, as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's exhortation is quite striking, especially in terms of what James's audience is clearly struggling with. The works of the flesh are hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, factions, envying. James sees and confronts all of these things throughout his letter. Specifically in our text today when he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such worldly wisdom that produces such wicked fruit does not come from above but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Chapter 3, verse 15 in our text in James. The logic is simple. How could one who is truly saved by Christ produce such worldly results? This is how the demons respond and act towards Christ and God. This is the natural state of mankind in their fallen nature. These are the hallmarks of a fallen, condemned world. Remember earlier in James 3, a fig tree cannot produce olives, just like Bitter springs cannot produce fresh water. It simply can't work. Now, Paul goes on in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 26, and contrasts the fruit of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit of God. He says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Did you hear what he just said? If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Again, Are love, peace, kindness, goodness, etc. things that James is calling them to? That if one is truly saved and transformed by Christ, then that person is equipped to allow his character to live through them by loving others and by denying the wicked tendencies and temptations of the flesh. This is the solution to their problem in James. It's godly wisdom. Again, Wisdom, according to James in chapter 3, verse 13 and 17, is peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. Effectively, he's saying that good works should be done in love, this kind of love. The striking thing about Paul's point in Galatians 5 is that he's referring to their conduct with one another. He says in chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, 
Beware that you are not consumed by one another. This is exactly what James has been getting at. What a cool thing in terms of how the Apostle Paul and James nicely fit together in the partnership of faith and works and genuine conversion. May we choose to live accordance to God's wisdom as his people, in step with the transformative and changing power of his Holy Spirit that has empowered us to love one another. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.